Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. Welcome, welcome once again. <laughs> oh, man, I love doing I just love it. I know I laugh every time. I laugh every time I start one of these things. There's just so much fun. It's so much fun to do this. And I really appreciate those of you that are listening, and I greatly appreciate my producer who actually make is makes this all possible. It, it just makes it all possible. If all I if all I had to do was talk to make a podcast, right? I mean, that's what that's what I was foolishly led to believe when I started. Well, just record something, get it online. Yeah, it's just not that easy. Not anymore, anyways. Maybe it was at one point, but. Anyways, when last we left, when last we left, uh, Joab had killed Abner. Abner, of course, was the cousin of uh, Saul, who was the commander-in-chief of the military, who had maintained control of the northern tribes for uh, seven years and had transferred power to David peacefully. And the peacefully part came because of David. David was peaceful about it. David communicated both to Abner and to Ashibabeth, the king, and to the nations under him or the tribes under him. I'm not looking for revenge. I'm looking to restore, to renew, to bring the country back together. And David was sincere in that, but Joab didn't share his vision. It didn't understand it. Didn't capture the bigness of it. Didn't it just he just wasn't there. In his mind, he had to avenge his brother's death. Abner had killed his brother. It was up to Joab to kill Abner. It didn't matter that it happened in a time of war. It didn't matter that Abner tried to tried to tell the brother not to chase him anymore. Like it, the battle was over. The battle had been won. Now you're just after you're after bonus points. Now, granted. Uh, Azrael was after the big bonus point. He was after Abner, the, the commander-in-chief. He knew internally this was going to be big, a big deal. If Abner dies, right, then the, the country's going to fall apart and David can can rule. Like I'm sure, I'm sure somewhere in his mind everyone knew that king that he put in place can't make a decision without him. And if we kill Abner, the, the country will fall into line eventually. Anyways, enough about that. That was the last story. <laughs> yeah, let's rehearse that for 45 minutes, Bob, and then get on to the rest, the the new part. But, but it's I, I did I did want to point out like there's there's family everywhere. Abner was Saul's son, uh, uh cousin. Joab was Azrael's brother, uh, and David is is Joab's uncle. Uh, Azrael, of course, was a nephew of David. Like there's just you can't get away from family. And and sometimes within family, your vision can be small. And 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 that happens to a lot. It's it's tough to raise children and allow them a vision to see the world as opportunity. Like they could go anywhere and and really pursue whatever their heart desires. You still love them. You still want them around. You still want them to be a part 
of your life forever as a as a you know as a parent and I'm speaking you know personally as well at this point but it it's tough because because when they're little you can set them up to think that they really can't ever leave you and I've seen parents do that where they handicap incredibly talented and gifted people who have who have amazing opportunities to go to go somewhere but in their childhood the parents just kept saying oh i hope you never leave me oh i can't imagine if you ever left oh don't ever don't ever move don't ever leave uh you know you can get married you know go off to college or whatever find find your mate but you got to move back oh i can't imagine i can't imagine i can't imagine and and you set up these these bonds upon them, this bondage. And often they'll, you know, they'll, they may leave and then they just feel this constant pull back. And often, you know, again, it's off many times it's said in very sweet ways, uh, but it's really manipulation and it's bondage. And you're basically saying, you know, we'll take care of you if you come home. That's another way the parents will do it. You know, if you if you stay around, I can get you a job. If you stay around, we can help you buy a house. If you stay around, we'll get you a car. If you move away, though, I don't know. If you stay around, well, we'll watch your children while you work. If you you know for free, if you stay around, if you stay around, and you just, it's where where blessings become bondage because you can bless your kids without putting them in bondage. And at some level, Joab was in bondage to his vision that family was the greatest, the greatest thing to defend, not the nation, not others, not, not the, the, you know, the passion of God to reunite and bring and bring the nation together and create a nation that would draw other nations to him. Joab was like, nope, Family first. I don't care if it throws us all into civil war. I don't care. I don't care. So even though he was forced to mourn Abner at, at his death and wear sackcloth and ashes and and listen to David's song about Abner, I think internally Joab was always thinking, nah, I did the right thing, at least for me. And man, selfishness, selfishness will kill a vision. It'll kill a vision. But David David knows. I'm sure David knows Joab's heart. I'm sure David internally knows Joab is just, he's not going to ever be happy with me about this. But David did the right thing. He was diplomatic. He continued to, you know, to project this idea that, that he was going to go after peace, a peaceable uh, transfer of, of power. So when word gets back to Ashibabeth, the uh, the son of Saul, the king of Israel, that Abner had died and had been killed, it says he lost courage and all of Israel becomes afraid, alarmed. Sorry, all of Israel becomes alarmed. That's that's really key. So Ish hears about Abner's death. And he literally loses all confidence that he's going to survive. He just immediately spirals into that downward, like, like I'm a victim. Nothing good happens for me. 
you know, I was hope he had he had some hope that at least he'd stay alive. Abner was going to transfer power. Remember, he he challenged Abner, which is what put this whole thing into motion. And then when he saw Abner's response, he just totally shut down and became submissive to the point where he ordered David's first wife to be taken from her current husband and given back to David, just like Abner had requested because he didn't want to cross Abner anymore. He wanted to do whatever he could to survive. He wanted to be alive at the end of the story. And and now Abner's dead and David's in charge because the, the power's been transferred. That's what the wife represented. And what's going to happen to me? And he doesn't. Uh, he just doesn't know. He doesn't know. He can't make a decision. It's just, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. Like you could just picture him saying that, like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. This is this is so bad. This is so bad. This is so bad. And he's probably talking to his servants or his attendants, and and he's just like in this tearful, on the edge. I've got so I've got so many problems. I'm the king. Everybody, everybody, you know, needs to listen to me, but no one will do what I say. And and my guards hate me. They all followed Abner, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. Now the tribes of Israel, the ten tribes of Israel, they of course hear this, and they're probably expecting annihilation at this point. Fear, fear paralyzed the nation. Of Israel, the ten tribes just—they held their breath because even you know, even though David was signaling peace, 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 Abner was now dead. Like Abner was their their go-to guy, their idea that Abner is running this, not a Shivabeth, because we all know he can't. Abner's in charge. We we can trust Abner. Remember, Abner met with the. With nine of the tribal leaders, nine tribes, tribal leaders, and then he specifically met one on one with the Benjamites, the, the house of Saul, and he assured all of them what was going to happen, but now he's dead. So they're paralyzed in fear. They don't know what's going to happen. And when you're paralyzed in fear, it also means there's no commerce going on, trade is kind of shut down. I mean, it, I, I have no idea where we are in our timeline when this will actually be sh- be be uh pro- released sorry it's going to be produced way way ahead of this but one of the things that happened under the covid coronavirus was fear 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 was perpetuated and many politicians that I observed were making decisions based on fear. And what do you do when you're afraid? You shut down commerce. And that was that was it. that was what happened, right? We well, it came from the president at that point, at one point for I think 3 weeks, right? We shut down the nation except for essential businesses which were always interesting uh that whole thing is just interesting the whole thing became interesting from my perspective because it just seemed very inconsistent so i imagine when commerce gets shut down in a, in a nation like israel which of course is a collection of 10 very large family tribal units the commerce gets shut down officially but 
there's people who just need need to things need to get done whether it's sheep need to be sheared or wine needs to be you know uh made or or seeds need to be sown like it got shut down but it it was more like you become self-contained you hang out close to home you don't go on journeys because you just don't know what's going to happen you don't go visit other other villages you don't take your goods to another place where you might get a better price because you don't know what's going to happen there could be an a war there could be uh uh troops marching on the tribes because abner's dead all right so there's two it says now saul's son had two men who were leaders of raiding bands so these are brothers uh Benai and Rechab. Rechab? Anyways, they were actually technically from another tribe, but they were considered part of Benjamin because um, they had fled there and had resided there as foreigners. So they were considered part of the tribe. And you got to keep that in mind as well. Like in each tribe, even though it's all family, it's also other people that they pick up along the way. They help out a village or they... Uh, a, a group of refugees from another country, you know, several hundred strong, find you, move into your area, and you work out good deals with them. You work out some marriages with them, and they officially become part of your tribe. So that's kind of what what we're looking at here. And they were brothers, and they were they were part of raiding raiding teams. So their job under Shibabeth slash Abner. Was this, you know, go out in groups of men. I don't know if it's 10, if it's 20. It depends on, I'm sure, where they were going and what their assignment was. But their their job was to find plunder, to just steal from other tribes, technically other nations, and bring it back into the storehouses of the king, bring back whatever it was they stole. And that's what they did. They did this for a living. So their their mentality is their their job fit the whole concept of the type of leadership that Shibabeth ran or, or or lived under, the type Abner lived under, the type Saul had created, which was go out, get what you want, take it, and then look for reward. The more you bring back to the king, the more he rewards you. The more access you have to the king, the more power you have, the more authority you have. And then when it comes time to handing out rewards, you'll get more. You'll get more land, you'll get more servants, you'll get more wives, you'll get more whatever. So these guys are used to this kind of mentality because that's what a selfish leadership does. They set up a reward system and the reward comes you know, to you based on things you bring to the king whether it be information or or plunder or uh, diplomatic opportunities, like it, it all has to do with with fear and selfishness. That's what it's based around. So these two guys look around. Now there's one other son of Saul. His name is Meshibabeth. Uh, M- 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 <laughs> oh, I can't wait to see him more. 
he's he's more in the story later, but he had he had gotten injured when Saul had committed suicide slash was killed by the Amalekite because he wasn't dying fast enough and wanted to die before the chariots of the of the Philistines arrived. Uh, when word got back that Jonathan had died and all that you shouldn't do this live, Bob. You should have this produced. You should you should study these words before you start talking. I know I should. I know, <laughs> but it's kind of fun to mess it up as well because then maybe people who are like me can relate. Mephibosheth, his his father was Jonathan. Anyways, they find out back at the palace that everybody's dead. So so the nursemaid, the one who's in charge of him, starts rushing, like picks picks him up and starts running with him. Get him out of the palace, right? We don't know. The, the Philistines are coming. We know they're going to come to the capital city. We know they're going to want the palace. We've got to get him out. She starts running. She falls and evidently breaks his leg. And he's basically handicapped from that point on. He can't walk or he can't walk well. I'm sure he either, he either drags a leg or has a bad, bad limp. I'm not sure what it is. There's lots of... Um, options when it comes to the legend behind it the 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 oral traditions behind it something was wrong with him and because of that he was never considered in line for the for the throne he was Jonathan's son but he was never really considered in line for the throne so they didn't think of of him when it came to okay you know who's next in line these these brothers are putting together a plan they were like, all right, if we kill Ishibabeth and we show David that we are loyal to him, like that'll prove, that'll prove our loyalty beyond a shadow of a doubt. We will be up for incredible rewards, incredible rewards. And I'm sure they, they talked themselves into this. Oh, you're right, brother. He's like, yeah, that's why I'm the oldest, because I have the good ideas. Like, I don't know. I kind of picture this in, uh, always, like when I read this. I've I read this as a movie, right? These guys get back they're from a raiding party or or whatever, and they realize that you know Abner's transferred power. Like that's unsettling. Now Abner's dead. the The nation is kind of shut down in fear, waiting to see what David's gonna do. Is he going to mount up war? Is he just going to take this, the nation by force? Like, what, what's going on? What's Ashibabeth going to do? Of course, we're all guessing he's just going to stay, you know, in the basement uh, under a blanket, hoping that somebody comes and tells him what to do. And these guys are like, all right, what can we do? What can we do? You know what? You know what will work? We could, we could put an end to this war. Oh, yeah? How could we do that? Well, if we kill Ashibabeth and bring his head to David, then there's really no need for David to attack us. And we will be the ones who kill the one son of the man who tried to kill David. So we will become like we'll become heroes to David. We'll we'll probably get rewarded. 
Oh, brother, that's a great idea. Oh, I see where you're going with this. Yeah. David will, of course, reward us. And will probably get prominent positions in his army. Oh, man, can you imagine? Oh, that'll work out great for us. We'd have land. Our families would be safe. We'd have position. Oh, this is gonna this this will work out great, you know. And the they they throw another log on the fire and and sip a little bit more wine or whatever it is they're sipping. And like, how are we gonna do it? Yeah, well, we could we could just walk into the palace. What do you mean walk into the palace? Well, because because we're you know, known raiders, like everybody knows us, we we can, we have access, we can just walk into the palace, we'll tell them we're looking to get supplies for another raid. Why would we go on a raid? Well, we'll just tell them the king sent us. I mean, technically, he's still in charge. Oh, yeah. Well, that's true, we could. But how are we going to know where Shivabeth is? I mean, if we wander around the palace with a, you know, with our swords drawn... Hmm. Oh, I know. We could go during uh, during nap time. Oh yeah, we could. Yeah, we could go when he uh, when he's sleeping. Which I'm guessing for Shibabeth was most of the day. I mean, this is a this is a weak leader who feels incredible pressure all the time because he has no idea how to make a decision he was never trained on how to make a decision he was only trained on how to tell people what to do and there's a big difference there's lots of people who can tell people what to do who really can't make a decision they just they just they just have power they were given a position for whatever reason and now now you know when decision time comes they're they're paralyzed and that's where where Shivabeth is and when you're paralyzed in in your decision-making process, and you don't know who you are, and you don't know what you're going to do, the stress, the stress will make you feel tired, and you just want to stay in bed or go back to bed. So these guys take advantage of their access to the king. They walk in. I'm sure there's servants and assistants uh, of Ashibabeth hanging around, doing their job, waiting Right, they're just kind of going through the motions. There's no real security. There's no mention of guards. There's no mention of of you know an elite troop of any sort that's that's there at the palace. I'm guessing because Abner was in charge of the military, and in essence, Abner had just given the military over to David, as well as the nation. They were kind of in limbo. Like who's in charge? I don't know. It, as far as we know, everything was transferred to David, so David tells us what to do. So they're all gone. That's what that's what I think. There might be a few of his good friends who are wandering around with a sword on their on their uh, hip, but there's no real security. They walk they walk in. Uh, they tell people, "Yeah, we're we're looking to get supplies. We're uh, we're going to go on a raid." So, uh, you know, the guys at the gate are like, all right. And then they go. They're wandering around. 
They find out that he's sleeping. They take, they walk right in to his bedroom, right into his bedroom. Now, I don't know, you know, this, to me, to me, this takes a moment. But maybe you get yourself so worked in to to the excuse to, to kill somebody. Or maybe you get so used to killing people that to kill somebody while they're sleeping is easy. I mean, I guess technically it it is easy. I mean, they're not fighting back. And you can put the sword, you know, right into their heart and kill them before they even know that you're there. So I guess at that part it's easy. But but to actually do it, and again, for me, it's just probably because I value life so much that it just seems really like for me that is a that is a long mental journey to get to to kill somebody but we know that people are there we we know that there are murderers out there and there are there are uh trained killers out there that have no problem uh killing people so so these are two guys who have no problem killing somebody so they get into the bedroom he's snoring He's he's lying there in bed and they stab him. I gotta think that his eyes open, right? He, just as the knife is passing through his heart and and it and it stops. I think he opens his eyes. I don't think he sees them. Maybe he does. Maybe they were standing right over. Maybe they wanted him to know. Maybe he had offended them, which wasn't a stretch to think that he had offended people. That maybe they didn't they didn't get their just reward or what they thought they deserved from him over the last few times that they brought back plunder from their raiding parties. I don't know. But boom. They arrived, it says, in the heat of the day. So this is the afternoon nap. This is when most people in leadership would go lay down because it's so hot and, and you don't want to be working while you're sweating. Right? This is when even the day laborers would often be given a tent or a lean-to of some sort to go huddle in, in the shade. Even though it's still hot, at least you're in the shade. You're not in the direct sunlight. And you'd wait a few hours till the sun kind of waned a little bit, and then you'd work until sunset. So there, he's, he's taking his afternoon nap, and he never wakes up. And they cut off his head so that they can prove that he's dead and that they killed him. They cut off his head in the bed, and they walk out. So they must have had a bag. Again, they went there to get supplies. So it would not be it would not be suspicious to walk back out of the palace gates, where I'm sure there's a couple guards, but maybe not. At least a couple servants manning the gate. And they walked in with an empty bag, and they walk out with a bag full of, you know, that looks full. Well, it's got a head in it. And maybe there were other bags they filled up with other things just to just to alleviate any suspicion of what they've done. And they start walking. And it says that they, they give us their, their you know the way they traveled, but they traveled all night so that they could they could you know not be caught. But here's the thing there's no mention of any alarm. There's no mention that anybody cared. You get the sense from reading the the narrative here that they cut off his head and they they walked out 
And as far as the servants were concerned, Ishibabeth stayed in bed. He went down for a nap, and he stayed in bed all night. I mean, he was already kind of depressed, uh, uh, you know, not alarmed. He had lost courage. Like, he he was despondent. He was, he was stressed out. I'm so stressed. He took his nap and uh, never, never got out. Nobody... I don't think they found him till morning. It doesn't mention that, but that's that's the sense I get from from reading this in the way that the words are translated. There's just no one cares that he didn't get out of bed. They probably felt better that he wasn't there, that he wasn't wandering around telling them to do things to try and look busy. He just died. And they walked all night just in case they were being chased, and they get to Hebron. And they bring the head of Ashibabeth to David. Now, how does that work? You don't walk in as you just don't walk into David's throne or his place of operation, I should say. It's not like he's always sitting on the throne. But his place of operation. They probably had to clear it with somebody a guard maybe to begin with, and then they get in. Yeah, we have something for David. What do you have? Um, we have a, we have a message from from the nation, you know, from Israel. Uh, we, we have to deliver it personally. All right, fine. Stand over there. So then security comes. What do you, what do you, what are you, what are you doing here? Well, my name is, is, uh, whatever, Benai, and this is my brother, Rechab, and, uh, we're raiders. And we worked for Shibabeth, uh, but now we, we work for David, our amazing king. And we're here to pledge loyalty to David, and we have something for him. Oh, yeah, we have a gift. We have a gift. And I, I cannot imagine that they got all the way in there with the head of a Shibabeth without somebody else knowing. And I'm guessing that somebody was probably somewhere along the line, upper management of the military. And I have a feeling they told Joab so that Joab was in the room when this occurred just because information like this travels fast. Information like this travels uh, through through the verbal chain pretty quickly. But they get to David. And they bring the head of, of the king with them. Now, I don't know if they kept it in the bag or not. But they bring it to David and they say, Here is the head of a Shibabeth, son of Saul, your enemy, who tried to kill you. This day the Lord has avenged my Lord and king against Saul and his offspring. David, we have secured the throne for you. We have destroyed all living uh, claims to the throne. The line of Saul is now dead, and we have the head to prove it. We are loyal to you. That's where it says the Lord, they, they go to God. It's always good to bring God in on your on your bad choices, right? I see that all the time. I think I gave some illustrations of it. Uh, a few months ago on this podcast, right, where people people <laughs> people break the law, and then they they <laughs> then they use 
they they thank God that they weren't caught. It's just funny to me. It can be as simple as, you know, speeding. Well, I did. I was so late, but praise God there were no cops on the road. And I was able to, you know, do 60 in a, in a 35 so that I could get there on time and whatever. So let's, you know, so that's what they did. Like the Lord has avenged you. Look, the Lord has, has provided a way of peace for you. Uh, <laughs> whatever. I'm sure they made quite a show of this. All your troubles are over, David. God showed up on your behalf. And here's proof. <laughs> and, and they're done talking. Now, I don't know if David, I have a feeling David responded fairly quickly because of what he did. He didn't actually respond well. He reacted quickly. So David reacts. He answers. He listens to their show of of loyalty and and their claiming of God's blessing on David. That they were the they were the vehicle through which God blessed David. And David goes, So, as surely as the Lord lives, who has delivered me out of every trouble? <laughs> He's like, let's get this straight. Let me start this out straight. Now this is true. This is true. Okay, David David starts out good, which is not unusual when you're when you react to things too quickly. Sometimes your your on-ramp is still good. It's the highway that you get on that sends you the wrong direction. And that's that's where it gets confusing because you think, "No, I did this I did the right thing." And it's like, "Well, no, you, you started out right. Like you start out with the right thought. The right thought is David's like, "I don't need you to deliver me. It's the Lord who has delivered me from all my troubles. It's, it's, I mean, he's, he's just reminding everybody in the room. I don't get delivered out of trouble by people going to, to murder other people. I don't, that's not how it happens. I get delivered out of trouble because God shows up. I wait for God's timing. And generally speaking, he's correct. He's like, I wait for God. To, to prepare the way, to make the path straight. I don't go making stuff happen so that I don't have troubles anymore. And and David's got uh, seven years in the wilderness and seven years at the king as king of Hebron. For the last 14 years, he's been waiting, more than 14 years, but, but at least you could say for the last 14 years, he's been waiting for the peaceful road of God's timing to the throne of, of the nation. And he's like, he's delivered me. For, he has delivered me. I wait on the Lord to do this. So let's get that part straight. I don't need you. As surely as the Lord live, who's has delivered me out of all my trouble. I don't, I didn't need you to kill Shibabeth. He said, when someone, let's, let's review something else in this great plan of yours. So I have a feeling because you got to remember, right? Why are these guys doing this? They're doing this because they expect to be rewarded. They expect to have favor in David. They expect authority and and positions out of David. And when you expect to be rewarded, and and again, but within within the framework of the of the language in this, it 
basically they told David the whole story. And I have no doubt that they started back at the campfire where they first thought of it. And the guy who brought it up, let's just pretend it's the older older brother, is like, so it was my idea. Because he wants a little bit more favor and a little bit more credibility with David than his younger brother. But it was together. So they go through the whole story. They framed the whole thing as a celebration of God delivering David out of the out of the clan of Saul to take out all the living possible possible living uh, uh, people who could ascend to the throne. What do I want to say? Living relatives who could ascend to the throne. I guess that's what I want to say. Heirs. Ha. No, that's the word I want to say. Thank you so much. That's the producer of my uh, the the sorry the. Engineer in my head telling me, hey, Bob, you want the word heir. Uh, We've killed all the possible living heirs to the throne. You are now able to sit on the throne in peace because the Lord has given us an opportunity to do this amazing thing. We got to murder Ishibabeth while he slept. Oh, David, you can't even imagine. Like we walked into the room. Nobody even cared. The guards, you know, are all gone. There's a few people hanging around the palace. I mean, everybody's in fear of you, David. Everyone wants to submit to you, David. David, you are an amazing king. Everybody loves you. This is going to be awesome. David listens to the whole thing, and he responds. All right. So, first of all, I don't need you to deliver me out of troubles. I've always trusted God to do that. The Lord has, and he's always come through. He's always come through. So let's not, let's not pretend that you guys did this. And they're like, oh, no, 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 David, of course not. No, 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 no. We all, all glory goes to God. All glory goes to God. Okay, fine. Let's cover this too. Do you remember the story of when someone came to me and told me that Saul was dead? Do you remember do you remember that? Do you remember they they came to me? They brought me his crown. They brought me his his wristbands that indicated that he was the king. And they even claimed to have struck the final blow that put him down. Do you remember? Do you remember this? Now I'm sure these two brothers remembered this. I'm sure they're sitting there going, "Yes." Yeah, we, yeah, we, we all, yes, we, we know that story. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sure you do. Cause you know, you were working for Saul at the time. So let's review. What did I do? What did I do? I seized him and put him to death right there in my city. I put him to death in Ziglag. Now, that's the reward I gave him for his news. Now, side note, I do think it's significant that David takes full credit for giving that reward. That he doesn't say, God told me to kill him because of what he did. This is, this is, where, this is where, again, one of those little subtle things, but I think it's important because if you're going to find... If you're going to see the obvious that God is good all the time and has been good through all of time, then you're going to see that God doesn't command death. 
He doesn't use death. He doesn't need to use a tool of the enemy to accomplish the goodness of heaven. But men use death because it seems appropriate. Because for them, in their experience, in the culture that they live in, it seems like an appropriate choice in the moment. And in that moment, it seemed like an appropriate choice. So he's like, that's the reward I gave him for his news. Now, how much more do you think I'm going to do when you killed an innocent man in his own house, on his own bed? It was like, this guy killed Saul, who definitely had some faults. He was definitely out to kill me. We all know that. Saul was not innocent. He was, he was guilty as charged as somebody who wanted to murder me for no reason. I had, I had never offended Saul. He was out to kill an innocent man, and everyone knew it. He dies in battle, but he dies at the hand of an Amalekite, ultimately. He dies at, the, at that hand, and I rewarded that Amalekite with death. You... Walk in to a man's bedroom and you kill him while he's sleeping. Like you're not even on, on a in a duel. You're not even you know. You're not even playing fair. And the man is innocent. He's innocent in that he's never come after me. He's never come after me. He accused Abner of treason and tried to take out Abner, but he backed down from that right away. This man has, I have nothing against this man. I had no reason for him to die. The, the transfer of power happened peacefully. I would have found a way to deal with a Shibabeth. I would have, I would have dealt with them peace, peaceably. And look at what you did. You killed him in his own house on his own bed. How can I put a guy to death in in, in Ziglag for for bringing me the crown and, and bracelets of the king and not kill you for killing an innocent man, another king? So, yeah, you guys are dead. And he gave the order. And then the men killed him. And they cut off their hands because they were thieves. And they cut off their feet because they brought bad news. And they hung their bodies. So everybody could see this is what happens when people attack the house of Saul and think that David's going to be happy about it. This is what happens. This is what happens if you think civil war is a good plan right now. He literally sets the tone. He didn't have to do it through murder. But even in that, diplomatically, he sends a message back to the nation of Israel, to those 10 tribes, and specifically to the tribe of Benjamites, I am not coming after you. And those who do come after you, I'm going to protect you because I will kill them. I will take what they do against you as an act of war. And I'll take them out. And then he took the head of, of Ashibabeth, 
and he buried it in Abner's tomb. And what that means is that he buried Ish, he buried the head of Ishibabeth as a king. He put him in a place of honor. He mourned him as a as a you know as a leader of a nation. And and he continued to communicate, I am not out to take advantage of people who are weaker than me. I'm not out to take advantage of a nation that doesn't have leadership and doesn't have a military. I'm not out to do this by force, even though every other king in the nation at this point would have done that. Every other uh, uh, dictator and tyrant and, and even a lot of clan leaders would have taken the leadership by force, would have shown, would have wanted to show that they were powerful people because they had the military or they had the the chutzpah to, to murder others innocently. And David's like, I am not that kind of leader. David's actually way more complicated than that. David has way more layers because of his interaction with heaven. He's far more relational. He's far deeper when it comes to his vision. It's just way bigger than the immediate problem that needs to be solved, the immediate uh, you know, decision that needs to be made. He thinks further down the road because the wisdom of heaven does that. In the moment, he reacted and he put two men to death. He could have communicated to the nation of Israel in, in a number of ways that, listen, I'm not coming after you and I will defend you to the end. He didn't have to murder these two guys. But from his perspective, in the moment, without taking heaven's perspective, his perspective was, if I killed a guy for putting an end to Saul's life, putting a merciful end to the end of to Saul's life, you know, in battle, at Saul's request, I'm then clearly these guys have crossed that line. Like they, they, there was a there was a line of justice in David's heart that was like, yeah, these guys crossed it. They crossed it a while ago, and I'm I'm thinking. <laughs> He probably thought this as the story went forward and he's thinking he's listening to these two guys and he's not feeling better. He's getting madder internally. He's like, wow, I'm I, these guys are out. These guys are done. But David continues to bring peace to the nation. It goes again to the character of David. To the depth of character. Again, not that he's 100%, uh, you know, uh, uh, holy. No, oh, what do I want to say? He doesn't make, all his decisions aren't perfect. Some of them are are treacherous and, and wrong and evil. But generally speaking, this guy does the right thing. He follows the heart of heaven. He follows the heart of God. And he shows the goodness of God to the nation over and over and over again. And that's the type of leader you want. That's the type of king that you want. But it doesn't, it doesn't come quickly. Even though the transfer of power has occurred, remember David still isn't in charge of the nation. His experiences continue to, to mold him and give him uh Filters and perspectives that will allow him to lead through incredibly complicated times. Because 
He trusts God with the path that he's going to take. Because ultimately, he lands back in the presence of God and says, all right, whenever you're ready, that will mean that I'm ready. He's not pushing back against God saying, I can do this. I can do this. Give me a promotion. Give me a promotion. Man, I I can't. Oh, the number of people that have left for leadership roles before they were ready. It stepped into things that that, that wasn't in the best timing. Now, did God show up? Absolutely, God can still show up. And was it, was it a, you know, did things turn out all right? Many times they turn out all right, but that doesn't mean the timing was right. It's just something to consider as you, as you, as we walk through, as you listen through this story. It's epic. It goes on and on. And family is so valuable to this, to, to the, the filter, to this, you know, to this story. You have to, you have to consider the layers of family interactions at this point. And it just gets more complicated. (laughs) And it will get more complicated because uh, on the next round, the, 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 yeah, well, we'll do that. It's way too, you've been going on for like 50 minutes, Bob. I know. It's true. All right. My engineer says cut off now and let's get David anointed king over the nation. Maybe next time when we meet again. Thanks for coming, everyone. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.